Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. We're going to title this, The Holy Spirit, His Power and Purpose for You. Uh, His Power and Purpose for You. So really our goal, my goal, I want to be like the early church. I want to read the book of Acts, and I just get fired up about what they did and how the Holy Spirit used them. And I think uh, that should be the goal of every generation of the church, especially these last days, where we see uh, the world at today, we want to say, God, we need more of you now than we've ever needed more um, needed you. And Lord, move like you once done before. But I don't think he just wants to do what he did. I think he wants to do more. I think the heaven, uh, heaven story will continue to tell great things that were happening after the book of Acts was closed. And you know, the, if you read the book of Acts, it, it doesn't have an ending. It just kind of leaves it open-ended because I think it's still being written. And I think heaven will tell all of those things. And so we want to have, uh, that's our goal, not just to be believers getting through another week and getting through day by day, but be authentically filled with the power of God, leading people to Christ. But we're going to kind of look through Scripture and determine what does it mean, who is the Holy Spirit, what is the Spirit baptism. Um, maybe we've got questions on the evidence of tongues and the gifts and all those things. We're going to tackle those over the next several weeks. But uh, we're just going to talk tonight primarily on who is the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? And so uh, on the screen, as we go through, we're going to pick out some things you'll be able to write some things down, but just going to stay right here for a moment. Uh, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, He is God. There, we just settle that right there. The Holy Spirit is God. He is God, and therefore He's not an it. He's an He. He is God. Uh, in uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 3 through 4, uh, it uses God and Holy Spirit interchangeably. Uh, in 2 Corinthians three seventeen even says that the Lord is that Spirit. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, He is the Spirit of God. And we know God is one, and it's kind of confusing, I will admit. But God is so beyond our understanding, uh, He's so far beyond our understanding, the best way He knew how to explain Himself to us was with Himself as God the Father, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And while He is one, He's so big. This is how he best knew to illustrate himself to us. And we know three is a perfect number uh, in Scripture, and this shows the perfection of God to us, and it's the best way. Uh, There could have been a million ways God could have explained himself to us, uh, and then some. But this is the way he chose to reveal his one true self, okay? So the Lord is God. He is God. He is a spirit. There is one God. But he's so mysterious, so beyond our understanding He's revealed Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He is, uh, His Spirit is at all places, at all times. David says, where can I go from your Spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you're there. Everywhere. God's Spirit is everywhere. And God's Spirit is all-knowing and is all-powerful. Okay, so we call those omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Okay, but He's all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-places. And so... One of the things you'll hear me use, and again, we're all from different backgrounds. Uh, in our community, we have a very strong group of oneness belief, and we have the Baptists and the Assemblies of God, the Trinitarian belief. Uh, and let me just, we'll just strip all that away, okay? Because I just want to focus on who He is. And one of the things, though, I will say you will hear me say is, while there is one God, and He is God, and He is the Spirit of God, and He's so mysterious, uh, and He can't the best way he knew how to give it to us is this Father, Son, Holy Spirit, while being one. 
You'll hear me say that the Holy Spirit perhaps is the uh, third person of the Godhead. Okay, now what does that mean? Okay, because this gets confusing uh, to some with different backgrounds. When we talk about the Holy Spirit as the third person, all right, it does not mean uh, that God is three different people in any sense of the way. God is one. He is not three different people. Scripture is clear. There's one God. There's the Father. And then there's one Son, Jesus Christ, who comes of God, but He's equal with God. Okay? This is kind of how we're trying to think about Scripture tonight. There's the Holy Spirit, who's one with God. And He comes from the Father, and Jesus Himself sends Him to earth. He comes from the Son. And so there's Jesus, who is God. He comes, He's born of a virgin, and it says He was born by the Holy Spirit. And He becomes the Son of Man. While He's on the earth, He's the Son of Man. And He is led into ministry. And the Bible says that He was led into ministry by the Holy Spirit. That He lived and He walked by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that He died. And the Bible says that He was risen up to new life again. Resurrected by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that before He went to heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit. And so, for Jesus, the Holy Spirit was a pretty important dude. Okay? Remember, He's in He. Holy Spirit is a He. He's not in it. So, if it was that important for Jesus, how important is it for us? Okay, think about that. But this, this God, uh, when I talk about Him, and we talk about Him as the Father, we talk about Him as the Son, we talk about Him as the Holy Spirit, uh, we see this complexity, this great mystery, uh, and we talk about it a lot of times in the personality of each one, Okay. And that's what I mean by when I say the third person of the Godhead, the third person. Uh, It's not about the division of Him. It's about His personality. God the Father shows Himself in a lot of ways in the Old Testament. We see Jesus showing Himself. The Bible says that Jesus was the fullness of grace and truth revealed to us, that Jesus really was the one who would show us and walk among us uh, to tell us who God is and what He's like. And so if you're trying to explain yourself uh, to that fire ant in your front yard, it's going to be really hard to explain your life, your car bills, your electronics. Your, I mean, think about it. They're in a whole different world than we are. God is so massive, so big. His brain is, is so beyond our comprehension. He made the stars and the earth. I mean, we only get just a glimpse of the heavens. They're a universe within universe. You know, all this stuff that God's so huge. He said, I'm going to make myself as a man. I'm going to walk among them. And He reveals Himself as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay? So we're just at the mercy of not understanding because until we get to glory, and even then the Bible is pretty clear that when we get to glory, we won't even understand it all. We'll have eons and eons and years and years to learn more and more. It'll never cease to be amazed at the glory and the wonder and awesome of God. That's how big He is. That's pretty unbelievable, right? For millions of years and eons and eons, you'll never comprehend God. So who am I to try to figure it all out now? Okay, is that, are we clear on that? So we're just going to say that this Holy Spirit, who is God, is also represented in a unique relationship in the Godhead. And when we say third person, it, uh, there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That third part, the Holy Spirit part, uh, we talk about a lot of distinctions in Scripture with the Holy Spirit, okay? I'm being careful with my words to keep us all on the same page. Uh, this personality of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is clear that when Jesus begins to talk, He talks about the Holy Spirit as this separate thing a lot of times. And even though He's one with Him, 
He talks about him as a separate thing. We see Jesus, when he's baptized, that the Holy Spirit descends upon him as a dove. And in that moment in Luke 3, we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one moment, at one time. And the Holy Spirit descends upon him and has a unique role in Jesus' own life, separate from the Father. And we see even uh, later on that uh, Jesus says, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So even Jesus makes a distinction between himself and the Father and himself and the Spirit. Okay? And even in uh, the Acts chapter 13, verse 2, the Holy Spirit Himself speaks in the first person. And when He calls Paul and Barnabas, He says, separate unto me. The Holy Spirit says this. Separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work He's called them to do. So the Holy Spirit speaks. Uh, the Holy Spirit, um, if you look in Scripture, says the Holy Spirit prays for us in Romans 8. So the Holy Spirit Himself. Now we've got Jesus interceding on the throne to God. But on the earth, even we see the Holy Spirit Himself as one who prays. So there's a little bit of personality there. A little bit of uh, personhood there that we think about. That He does something. That He relates to us in this way. He says it hel- He helps us. He teaches. He calls. He commands. He comforts. He can be quenched. He can be grieved. And again, so He's not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a formula that we can work ourselves up into a certain hype and move Him to do certain things. He's not something you can figure out. And and if I do this and this, I'll speak in tongues and I can do these miracles. And if I think hard enough... No, no, no. He is a person. He is God. And it's a relationship. Just as I have a relationship with Miss Evelyn, I don't, don't, you know, know, go in my office and turn around three times and do a howdy neighbor dance and then hope Miss Evelyn does her job in her office. You know, like, we don't, we don't work that way. We communicate, we talk, we have a relationship, and we grow together. That's the same way with the Holy Spirit, right? And I think sometimes He gets to be this mystical thing where it's an it, and, and if we jump and shout enough, He moves, and if we praise enough, He does this. We try to like a formula thing with this mysterious spirit. No, He is God. Amen. He is God. And He talks to us, He walks with us, He speaks to us, He teaches, He encourages. And so because the Holy Spirit has His things that Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in a unique way, and we learn about Jesus from the Father in a unique way, we can see all three have a really unique personality that all make up God. Does that make sense? But each of them have a unique role in relationship to us. And the Holy Spirit has a unique role in relationship to you and I as believers, and that's why we say the person, the three person, the third person, mostly talking about his personhood, his re- way he relates to us, not about separation as a different person, as a people, but person as in personality, okay? And so if you hear me say that, I don't want to offend anybody, but that's what I'm talking about, his unique personality of God, and also, so if he has a unique personality of God, there's something there that God wants you to know about himself, so if he talks to, about Jesus to us, he wants us to know about himself in a way through Jesus. But he's talking to us in a unique way about the Holy Spirit. So there's something about God he wants you to know through this person of the Holy Spirit. And there's a unique purpose and a unique power for you and I today through the Holy Spirit. If you're with me, somebody say amen. amen. Okay, very good. So he's... He speaks, He teaches, He equips, He calls, He commands, He comforts, and He is God. But He has revealed to us a unique personality of God by being separated and 
a revelation, okay, to us, all right? So we're going to talk a little bit really today about his name, some names he has and who he is. And so uh, Scripture illustrates that there's this mystery of God through these symbols, the Spirit of God. We know him as oil and wind and water and fire and a dove. Uh, It was the Spirit's job to anoint people for service, to bring new life, to cleanse, to purify, refine, consume. He, in the Bible, he's called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of wisdom and knowledge and promise and Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of life, and he's called the Comforter. But I've set some uh, aside tonight for us just to dig in before we get into prayer because these are going to reveal this unique personality of God that I believe He's revealed to us through the Holy Spirit, His Spirit. And uh, the first one is water, all right? In Scripture, we see water representing the Holy Spirit. I think we have a Scripture for that. John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Okay, water... And rain are often metaphors for the Holy Spirit. Why? What is it about water and rain? You think about water. It cleanses. It gives life. It satisfies. It refreshes. It renews. And when he says living water, in ancient times, uh, we were talking about good and clean water even before service a little bit. Uh, But you can go out and dig a well, and it might be okay water. And you can go get, you know, aquavina water, and you probably the same, actually. But... Uh, you know, there's good water and there's bad water sometimes. We get purple water sometimes and we get clear water sometimes, you know. Uh, but in the ancient times, you had to be careful where you got your water from. You didn't know where it came from. So they always looked for a stream that flowed, that was not stagnant, which makes sense, right? It was always moving water. That means living, okay, living water, because it'd give you life. The other way, you might be in the bathroom for a while, Okay. Living water you could trust and spring up, O oh well, in my soul. That, that living water, it was a bubbling fountain spring up that gave life to an oasis or a dry desert place. Meaning, a living water was the water I can trust. It was fresh. It was newness of life. I could build my family on it. I can settle here. This will uh, feed us and water my cattle and, and be, provide a home for us. And living water was that eternal life that Jesus is talking about. It's constantly moving. It's fresh, and it can be trusted. It cleanses. It gives life. It satisfies. And so we think when Jesus says, any who believes out of his belly flows this thing, this substance of life that satisfies, that quenches all of your thirst and desires, and you can live there. And in Hosea chapter 6, verse 3, it even says, uh, talks about the rain. And Hosea says this. He says, Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. We sing a song called Come Like the Dawn. That's where this verse is, Hosea 6, 3. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. Your version probably says latter rain. In Palestine, they had two rains, and their season started, their growing season started in the fall and went through the spring. And in the fall, you would have the early rain, which would get your crops started. And then in the spring, you would hopefully, if the season permitted, not always did it do this, if God was going to bless you, you'd have the latter rain. And what it was is it would give your crops a boost until the harvest time. Now, there's a lot of Scripture uh, relevance into that. 
that the latter rain gives the crop a boost until harvest. And what happens in Acts chapter 2, we see that the latter rain begins, that God begins giving His people a spiritual boost that creates a bigger, healthier crop until the harvest comes. Now, isn't that awesome? So the latter rain is really all about harvest time. It's really all about something that didn't always happen, but when it did, man, you knew we're going to have a good harvest this year. So the Holy Spirit is all about the harvest of God. He's all about bringing more people into God and giving them a life-giving water. And He bears fruit. He heals the land. Uh, And we see today, you and I are part of that latter rain. Uh, We are able to participate. He's still raining. Somebody say amen. amen. He's still pouring out, and He's still producing good fruit. And so that's one part of Him. So he reveals, God reveals himself through the Holy Spirit through water. God reveals himself through the Holy Spirit also through fire. Matthew chapter uh, 3 verse 11 says, He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? Fire. You know, Moses saw God in a flaming bush. It was consuming the bush, but it did not eat up the bush. All right? So he saw God that way. And then Israel saw God on Mount uh, Sinai in a consuming fire on the mountain. That the whole mountain was a glow, like a volcano, just a glow of the presence of God. It's so it shook the mountain, and it sh- uh, they just couldn't even stand to go up near it. It was so fearful. And uh, Elijah goes up to Mount Carmel, and he pours water on all the sacrifice, the sacrifice that these uh, pagan priests were making. Uh, uh, you know, trying to show down with God, and God's fire comes down from heaven and consumes a wet altar, and that's again consuming fire. In the upper room. Acts chapter 2, people began to uh, seek after God for this latter rain movement, right? And the Holy Spirit comes in a mighty rushing wind and flames of fire rested upon each of the 120 that were in there. So God's Spirit often confirms to us things about Himself through fire. And what is it about fire? Fire burns, it purifies all the things that are unwanted. He consumes things. God is a consuming fire, Hebrews says. And He works within our hearts. And so He goes into our hearts. He lights them up. He exposes the things that shouldn't be there. And He cleanses it away. He purifies us. We talk about the metal being purified like silver. That He uh, purifies and heats us up. And He draws the things out so He can see His image in us. Uh, that reflection. So fire is this consuming fire. He, uh, we would think about the Holy Spirit in fire. We think about Him brightening our soul, exposing our secrets, and not only that, but providing the ignition, the spark we need for combustion, that, that fuel, that flame that begins to move. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about uh, Timothy, and he talks about laying on the hands and continue to do the work that God had, had, in, had done in him and flaming the fire within him. And so that's that fire part. So we've got water, we've got fire, and Pastor John was quick to point out that we've got Captain Planet coming here in a minute. But, uh, you know, for those of you who grew up in the 90s, uh, <laughs> none of you did, I know. But, uh, hey. So water and fire, and the next one is oil. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David mightily from that day forward, or came mightily upon David. Somebody say, mightily. 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 The oil was symbolic of anointing. And what happens here is oil was lighting the uh, candle, the golden lampstand, in the 
uh, tabernacle continually. Oil was continually be filling and lighting that room, and that was the only oil allowed, and that was the only lampstand allowed, meaning that God's presence was activated and present in Israel. And they were to continually keep their oil full. We think about the passage where Jesus talks about the bride, uh, the bridesmaids, right, who needed to keep their oil full because they needed a symbolic of the Holy Spirit, keep the Holy Spirit fueled in their life. But oil also was anointing. In the tabernacle, everything was anointed not only just with blood, but with oil prior, before it was ever consecrated. And that oil symbol, symbolized basically that um, when you poured the oil on something, it meant anointed. And anointing means I'm taking this vessel or this instrument or this altar or whatever, and I'm setting it apart for only one thing, for the purpose of God. And it also meant for a person. They would anoint the priest and they would anoint the king. And they would take that oil, which we have over there. I'm not going to do this today. They would pour it upon their head. It would run down their head, down their beard, and down their clothes. And it was an upon-you experience, right? So we've got water within us. We've got the fire consuming within us. We've got the oil then gets poured upon us. You could be baptized, basically, in that oil. And so that oil would run down them, and it was symbolic of setting apart. But it also meant that God set them apart for a unique job in His purpose, and that also it wouldn't be, would no longer be them doing it, but it would be God's power doing it through them. Okay, so David was not king just because he was an awesome guy, but when he became anointed, the Spirit of God came upon him mightily. You see that? So he was anointed for the purpose of king, but then he got the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying today? Amen? All right, so the anointing is for a purpose and a power for the position God has for you. Now, the cool part is, Second Peter tells us that God had wanted to do this for a long time for all of His people. He wanted you to be a chosen, set apart, generation, a holy, what? Royal priesthood, a holy nation, right? Uh, for His own possession. And so what happens here, when God takes this chosen generation, this royal priesthood, this holy nation... He begins to anoint all of His church with the Holy Spirit. And that means He sets you apart for a purpose, and He gives you a power to fulfill it. Okay? How awesome is that? It wouldn't be me doing it now. It would be the Holy Spirit doing it through me. And so that's why God reveals Himself through oil. Oil is also is a medicine. Uh, we talk about in Revelation that there was a church that didn't see real well, and God wants them to put eye salve on their eyes, uh, this pasty stuff, Oil could be used as a medicine, and the Bible says that Jesus comes with the Spirit to heal our wounds, to bind up the brokenhearted, and oil would be that healing that would come over us. So not only would the fire consume us and purify us, His oil begins to heal us uh, and anoint us and give sight to our blinded eyes, binds up our wounds, and heals up the brokenhearted. Isn't it awesome, the variety that God chose to reveal Himself? Again, we get mixed up and we get divided on things like defining God and the Trinity and things like that, right? But God is so big. He is so big. We can't, uh, we can't even uh, iron God down just with water. You can't iron God down just with fire. And even oil goes to a whole other thing that God wants to do in you. How awesome. God is so, so big. that He's so mysterious. He says, you can't even contain all the things I want to do for you. You can't even pen and write down and doctrinalize and try to figure me out because I'm so big and so awesome. And so he's water, he's fire, he's oil. And so there's the water that 
fills us with life, the fire that consumes us and purifies us, the oil that anoints us and gives us power and heals us. Then there's the dove. John 1.32. John 1.32. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descend out as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. Dove is a symbol of peace. Uh, you think about Noah. Noah saw the floodwaters recede, and he sent a dove out and it brought back an olive leaf, showing us that the wrath of God had passed, and now newness of life was coming back into the world. And the cool thing about when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the Bible says that you can now cry out, Abba, Father, and know that you really are saved from, you know, we think about Romans, that the Spirit testifies within you that you are a child of God. And so that means what? As a dove, the peace of God passes over you, and He's showing you, I'm okay with you now. We're at peace. And that dove represents that new life has come into your life, that, uh, that the peace of God has come upon you. He makes you feel the joy of the Lord. Uh, the dove also represents the meekness and the humility and the gentleness of God. Uh, you know, we've heard it, especially growing up uh, in a spirit-filled church all my life, I've always heard pastors say, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. How many people have heard that before? Holy Spirit is a gentleman. What does that mean? Now, that's not Scripture. They talk about it in this way because uh, that He can be quenched and He can be offended. Uh, the Bible is real clear about us not wanting to offend the Spirit of God. Uh, a lot of the kings in the Old Testament did this, and the Spirit left them. Saul didn't listen to what God said, and the Spirit of God left him. You know, uh, we think about Samson didn't do what God wanted him to do, and the Spirit of God, the power of God left him. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. He can be with, uh, withstood. He's not going to force Himself on you. He's not just going to come up on you one day and make you run around the church and speak in tongues. That's not how He works. He's wanting willing vessels. And He does do things sometimes that overtake us, but, but it's never in a way that we lose control or do weird things. If you see things like that on television, or that's all mysticism. It's, it's flesh. Uh, it's, it's mania. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Uh, and He is powerful. He's consuming fire, and He's water, and He's oil. But He's also one who doesn't force Himself on any. He can be grieved. And so what it means there is, I want to be living in check with the Spirit. While He is God, He is all-powerful, He is one, uh, I want to live in harmony with Him. I don't want Him to leave Him. He, uh, even David, when he sinned, uh, he had uh, relations with Bathsheba, and he wrote Psalms 51. Uh, he even wrote in there, and I love that part where he says, uh, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, that was the big number one thing he didn't want to lose. I don't want to lose the presence of God in my life because I sinned willfully. And so then he says, God, restore to me your, uh, my, my, the joy of my salvation. You know, he repents. And so that's the dove part. We see him as wine in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Uh, nobody said amen to that one. So we're in a conservative area, I know, but he is wine, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation or, or overindulgence, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, what does that mean? Uh, we know in the whole 120 in Acts chapter 2 were baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of tongues. Uh, the outsiders thought they were all drunk, and they were like, well, no, this is in the middle of the day. You know, it's not in the morning here. These guys aren't drunk. There's something supernatural is happening. The Holy Spirit, when He comes upon you, He should make you a little more happier than you are. Okay? Just be honest. He should make you feel better, not more sour and not meaner. Like sometimes we, as Pentecostals, get the reputation of being judgmental and overbearing and not nice and negative. 
I mean, I don't know why we have that stigma, because the Holy Spirit is supposed to make you loosen up a little bit, okay? Uh, he's not an alcoholic. We're not alcoholics here in the Spirit. Don't get me wrong. We're not contrasting that to that level. But in a way, the Holy Spirit does move in our hearts with gladness, with joyful praise, with merriment and excitement. He's not intoxicating us. We're not losing senses of our, you know, of our members here. But, but He does alter our state. He does influence us. You know, a person on alcohol is influenced by that substance they're taking in. I want to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Amen? I want Him to alter my state. I want Him to take me not into a place where I'm losing mental function or uh, becoming a worse person, but in a sense, I want Him to take Heath Harris and make Him into the Heath Harris God wants Him to be. I want to speak better. I want to do better. I want to think better. I want to talk better. And when the Holy Spirit... Uh, you think about alcohol. A person with alcohol kind of loses all their inhibitions, and they start talking loud, and they become the center of the party, you know, and they kind of like kind of stuff. They lose and don't understand. what they're, And they really, they're not scared anymore to do some crazy things, right? Stand on the table and shout or run around town, you know, half naked or something. You know, like alcohol will make you do things. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you do anything. But one of the things about the Holy Spirit does, He will give you boldness of speech, and I tell you what, one of the big things for me becoming a pastor was I needed the Holy Spirit to give me boldness of speech. I was one of the most shy, quiet, uh, nerdy kids you'd ever meet. And I was always in the back of the bus and on the back of the room, and I didn't have a whole lot of friends. Uh, but then the Holy Spirit came, okay? And, and it was a growing process. It didn't happen overnight. But I thank God for new wine. And that's all I'm going to say. I don't drink, but I thank God for new wine, all right? And so he took over my boldness of speech. He also dulls us not to the things of God, but to the things of this world. He keeps us holy. And so he's the exact opposite of alcohol. Okay? And so I'm not saying anything about drinking, but hey, go get drunk on the Holy Spirit and you won't regret it because he's more than enough for us and he's all that we need. He's not going to intoxicate you, but he's going to give you uh, everything God wants for you to have to make you the better person that God wants you to be. Amen. Then he goes to seal. Holy Spirit is a seal. I'm not talking about the animal. I'm talking about the seal of the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee. So we think about a seal is uh, you had the signet rings of these uh, ancient fathers. And on it would be your crest. And that seal would be the symbol of your power and your authority and your approval. And when you would take a letter, you would take that wax and you would put that ring on there or sometimes it would be a stamp. And you would seal that and you would give that letter to your trusted servant and they would go do the business that you've called them to do. And you would go in their authority. Now let me say this. A slave who had the signet ring stamped on a letter who on his own would never be able to go into the Roman Senate or go into a place of business, a slave, a servant, on his own would have no authority to go into many of these business-like places in the Roman world. But when he had the signet of his master, he then at that moment had more authority than any other normal person in the Roman world. He went actually with the authority of his master. Now think about the implications of that spiritually. When he says in Ephesians 1.13, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. It means two things. He's a seal, he's a stamp of ownership on you as if you're the envelope. 
He's closing an official letter with the Holy Spirit on an, ex, an insignia, thinking, thinking it this way, saying, I promise I've sealed this deal with you. You are saved. My Spirit is upon you. And that's proof to you, you will be with me in paradise. If the Holy Spirit is in your life, you have a Holy Ghost guarantee you're going to make heaven. Isn't that awesome? It doesn't leave it up to chance or to question whether or not you're going to make heaven or not. If the Holy Spirit is activated in your life, you feel Him on the inside of you because you're saved. The blood of Jesus has washed all your sins away. Spirit of God comes in your life. You think of things differently now. You feel things when the Spirit moves. You see the world differently. You're convicted of sin. You're drawn to prayer. You're drawn to the, to the Word of God. You're drawn to witness. There's something in you that's moving you. That's the Holy Spirit. That is a guarantee you're going to make heaven. How awesome. How awesome. He could say, well, you could try harder and you may make it. Just work hard enough and then I'll tell you when you get there. No, no, no. You're going to make it if you have the Holy Spirit. That is good news. That's joyful. That's exciting. So I got a guarantee. And he also then gives me his authority and power on the earth. When I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit, I know I've got my master's authority. I know the Holy Spirit. I've got a guarantee for me personally. But I also now can go out in the power of the Holy Spirit and know that I've got my, dad, my dad's authority is going with me. My master's authority is going with me. So when I go out in the marketplace, I'm not going as Heath Harris anymore. I'm going as a man who's got the seal of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I don't go on my own power, my own reputation, I go now in the authority of God. So when these disciples then go out and he says, wait till you've been endued with power from on high to go be a witness. Is why you need my power and anointing on you to go out, not in your authority, but in my authority. Because when you're about up to meet a demon or a devil or a Roman official or the governor who wants to come, they're not coming. You're not coming against them on your anointing and your power and your identity. You're coming as me. You're coming with my pledge of approval. My seal. And when they reject you, they're rejecting me. And you can be true. I stick up for my own name. That's what the Lord would say. You know, he's, he's going to uh, uh, use his power. All right, so he's got his guarantee. The last one is when, and this one I end with this one. Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving or breathing over the surface of the waters. The word spirit there means pneuma. It's breath. He's the breath of God. And when the spirit is moving on the water, he also then takes man and he breathes life into man and he gives man his own living spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into Adam and Eve. But here's the thing. When we sinned, we lost that eternal life with God. We lost that connection with God. So while the spirit, as God, activated, manifests itself, he's everywhere, he made the world, then he breathed into man, Man lost that identity with God and that connection with God, so we were then dead. So we fast forward to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel sees a valley of dry bones. He sees the people of God as dead in their dead religious works, unable to change themselves. Why? Because they've lost the Spirit of God inside of them. He's on the outside, but he's not on the inside. And so... Therefore, he says to Ezekiel this in chapter 37, verse 9. He says, prophesy to the breath. Okay, that's the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of interesting. God says, call on the Holy Spirit. Okay, again, we're seeing this two roles here. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord of God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain. They may come to life. So he says, I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life, stood on their feet in an exceedingly great 
army. Now, what does that mean? When God sends Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ then sends the Spirit, He opens up something for us. He opens up a born-again experience in John chapter 3 where He tells Nicodemus, He says, Hey, it's a born-again thing. I can't really explain it to you other than you're going to be remade, recreated. God created the world the first time, but there's something spiritually going to happen now in you. And spiritually, you're going to be recreated into a new spiritual being. And I can't explain it other than saying it's like the wind. You can't tell where the wind comes or goes. It blows where it is, and you can just see the effects of it. And so he says, now this is now the definition of a new Christian's life. It's like the wind. It's a born-again experience birthed by the breath of God. What Adam and Eve lost now is going to be recreated and even better. And in you, like these valley of dry bones... What was once dead in your life and you were dead to sin, now some new breath is coming in, remaking your muscles and spiritual fibers and calling you to a purpose in God to be the people of God He's called you to be. You're, never before in the history of the world could this have ever happened until Jesus came and sent the Spirit of God to remake us. Now here's the catch, and this is what I want us to pray for, uh, for tonight. You never made yourself to begin with. We just had a new baby. And while she is of Beth and she is of me, I didn't make her. God formed her, right? There was a mystery in the womb, and God did that. It's a miracle. Life is a miracle. She didn't make herself, all right? I didn't make myself. And so I can't make myself born again. God has to do something spiritual in us to be born again. And if... It's the breath of God. And just like as a Christian, as a person, I need breath to breathe. As a Christian, I need the Holy Spirit like I need breath. You just breathe in a couple times. Okay, I need breath. I'll hold my breath for a second. It's going to get real quiet in here in a minute. You know, like uh, face turns red and then turn blue and I'm going to pass out. But as a Christian, think about this. You just saw all of the words that we could even try to even begin to pen and figure out the whole, just the whole, this isn't about Jesus, it's about God the Father. Just to figure out God, His revelation through the Spirit of God. All these words. Follow with me, just real quick. I'm wrapping up. How desperately we need the Spirit of God. How primitive we need. The basic fundamental of living a Christian life is the breath of God. It was at the beginning of creation. It made man the first time. He remade man at the born-again experience. I need to get up every day and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do today? Holy Spirit, what are you doing in my life? Go to bed at night. Holy Spirit, what's going on in, in, in your world and, and how am I need to be do this? Holy Spirit, how am I getting through the day? Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And it's so primitive. It's so basic. It's so fundamental. It's so baseline that our life must be all about the Spirit of God. We can't define how much we even need Him. Those are just a few of the examples He reveals Himself as. I need Him to consume me. I need Him to anoint me, to empower me. I need Him to give new life into my life. I need Him to heal me. I need Him to uh, be humble with me and give me peace. And I need Him to confirm me in the seal and give me authority. I need Him to breathe life into me. And so I need the Spirit of God. I need Him. And I think that's where we want to stop and end today and just to pray about I'm praying for new life to come into not only our church. I'm praying for new life to come into our community. I'm praying for new life in my own heart that God will begin to do new things 
read new things and to put new things into my heart and to take away the old things and burn up some things. But primarily, I need this creative, the Creator, the Holy Spirit, to create some things. I can't do new things in my life. I can't make me more peace. I can't give me more joy. I can't give me more patience. I need the Spirit of God who can only do those things. He has to birth things in us, to remake things, to come alive in us. And so here's what I want us to pray tonight.